Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. I'm sorry for being a bit, um, you know, slightly off tonight, because I just arrived back from home from Estonia. I'm going to talk about that next episode, but today we have something that was planned a bit ago, a while ago, yeah, and um, we, we, we have some things to talk about with um, our good friend, good friend Andrew Heaton here, and this time I remembered his name <laughs> for political orphanage. Hi, Andrew. Uh, delighted to be back. Delighted to be back and honored to have my name remembered. I feel like I am making inroads with uh, with you and the show. Well, yeah, this time this time we're doing the thing that we're going to do with most interviews from this point since I discovered this option. We're doing this on Discord, which means that uh, a lot of people will be asking you some questions after this episode is done, and some of this is going to go, go on the show. Okay. Deal. Yeah. You're, 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 looking, you're looking at... Oh, wait. Um, I can tell you that you're looking at all of... Um, the eastern border comrades out there they are judging you with their eyes as you speak comrade be very very <laughs> no it's, it's fine i i welcome their judgment i have nothing to hide that's on camera yeah this is interesting because uh, andrew is actually running this literally this live but to be honest it's been a rough rough couple of months with all with all this stuff that's been going on and i i, I decided to talk to heaton here because for one they call themselves a subset of libertarianism. Hmm. I think you're going to have something to say about this. <laughs> sure. But, but currently, we have... Um, because we, we recently had political movements and some protests. And, like, pro-Russian people just stepped in and tried to, you know, do some things, stating that, you know, Latvia is a fascist state and all that whatnot, protesting for us giving more aid to Ukraine. And some people stepped up, calling themselves sovereign citizens of Latvia. Then I looked up what sovereign citizens even are, and they're just a bit weird. Have you heard of the term? I ha well, so first of all, the, the fascist thing, I think we need to nail down. We talked about uh, labels last time I was on your program, and I think what we came up with is a fascist is someone I don't like that I want to dismiss. Uh, so uh, they're using the term properly to demonize somebody. Uh, but I don't know that you have any actual parallels with Hitler or anything like that. None that I detected when I was over visiting. In terms of uh, sovereign citizen, I have heard of that, but I've not heard of it in about 10 years. I, I've, uh, sovereign citizen, as I recall, there's a group of Americans that use that title, uh, and they, 
they tend to kind of be like Montana militia folk. Uh, and it's basically a, a philosophical position that uh, they are um, a, a nation unto themselves and do not participate in the social contract of the nation and the laws of the nation are, are strictly voluntary and they just abide them or they don't abide them. Something like that, like kind of like uh, anarchists with a chip on their shoulder. Yes, Am I right? if you, yes. If you, if you look at them up on the internet, it turns out that um, there are videos where they refuse to play poli pay police fines by quoting the fact that the United States is somehow under maritime law. Because some of your courthouses have like the flag with a, like a golden rim around it. Uh-huh. Which apparently makes the courthouse not under proper law or something. Well, in Latvia, they are blaming, out of all the things, you know, you, you expect the, the usual one. At this point, anti-Semitism is a given. Hatred for America also, which is weird because sovereign citizens came from there. They also hate the Vatican and Catholics. Hmm. Well, and, as, as you know, we are frequently in league with the Catholics. Uh, so, so, okay, yeah, one of America's greatest allies is the Vatican. Uh, okay, well, you know, it, it seems to... I'll tell you, I'll tell you when the war comes in with this. Yeah. Let, me get, let me get this. Thing. These guys, apparently, are uh, getting funded by Putin because this is this chaos strategy. The thing about this is that uh, apparently we have pro-Russian parties which have lost support. So their, so their current strategy is, um, is basically causing chaos. So now... Now they're just funding all sorts of weirdos and dumping them together. We're talking about weird sects, you know, weird religious movements, joining together with these guys, joining together with some old version of our own neo-pagans, and they're out there protesting because they just lost they just lost a lot of uh, a lot of their support from anyone reasonable. So now I, I guess their their main movement is just throwing out unreasonable people, bunching, bunching them together, and making some sort of European conspiracies and conspiracy theories. You know, a, a few years ago, Putin attempted to fund or support in some way a, a California secessionist movement. Uh, I don't think it had much traction. I think the amount of people in California that wanted to collect it, so to speak, was pretty minimal. Uh, but it does seem, I, I think you're right, in that it's just sort of like uh, sowing discord trying to, to get chaos going wherever it, it rains its head. I am curious, when you say funding them, do they have newspapers? Are they, uh, yes. do they have yes. like a party? Okay, so it's, it's, like, it's a, like a group or an organization. It's not just like lone guys yes. on the internet. Yeah, there's, there's a thing on the internet, yes. And they're, they're doing things. They're traveling to Sweden to, and Czech Republic to meet other European sovereign citizens. They have their own radio station, a YouTube channel, all this stuff. The problem is that, yeah, just the, it's very bizarre, especially seeing how everything's like happening currently. And I, I just don't understand why. Just to, to me, and the dumbest part is like they are libertarian people are now feeling very bad because they, these guys, present themselves as a part of the global libertarian movement, too, you know. Because well, I, uh, I, I only purport to be an independent. Um, I, I, I don't. I, I find that if I use the word libertarian, I used to use the word libertarian, but when I used that word, a lot of my progressive friends thought that I wanted to like put children in coal mines or something weird like that, which is not the case. And then I found that a bunch of the libertarians that I know, uh, when I, I'd like, I'd want to fund something using the Comrade, government. Comrade, what's and, wrong with putting children they were, they in coal were, mines? Everyone uh, wants to do that. 
Right, exactly, exactly. Well, but like, but the, the libertarians a lot of the time would freak out too, uh, and so I, I find like, I just go by independent. But I but I know that world pretty well. I, I, I'm a contributor at Reason, which is a libertarian outfit here in the states, and um, uh, it, it seems to me that there is almost a, a philosophical delineation with that within that movement. There's one group of people that I think you would probably call a liberal in in Latvia. What are what what other Europeans would call uh, liberals or classical liberals, uh, and then there's another group that is. Uh, philosophical anarchists that um, uh, really take to the nth degree that uh, government has to have consent uh, of the governed, um, that, that it cannot be compulsive force uh, 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 put on somebody that didn't opt into it or, or something to that effect. It sounds like this is coming out of that anarchist wing uh, of, of sort of believing that all governments are inherently illegitimate and, uh, uh, and then taking it from there. Yeah, I guess so. But like, I find this interesting because once again, at this point, after Prigozhin's rebellion, which by the way, like, was a very hard time for me because that happened during our um, whole of my listeners know this, but I'm just telling you this. Um, I was at my girlfriend's place meeting her parents and her friends for the first time ever in our national holiday, the biggest, the biggest one, the midsummer uh-huh. one I told you about, that one. Mm-hmm. Prigozhin's rebellion happened on that day, on that celebration. So during me meeting my girlfriend's family and friends for the first time ever, I literally told them, no, I'm going to work all night long and ignore your party completely, which I did over here. So now you know how, what, like... It was very inconvenient of the Russians. Now they're they're, they're messing with your latest relationship. Uh, And uh, what, what, uh, if you didn't already have a reason to dislike the Wagner group, and I, uh, a Wagner group, and I think you did, uh, but if you didn't, you got this one more. Well, uh, it was weird, like... I started thinking about this because after this, after Putin like did his mess up where you are all traitors, but it's okay. We're going to give you all the stolen money back because, you know, apparently everything you need to do in Russia to have a talk with Putin is just, you know, march upon Moscow, have like planes crashed and people killed. That's fine, man. But um, he started his election campaign after this. Because you know know far far more about uh, the the would-be pooch than, than I do. Do you think that was orchestrated or, or legitimate um, attempt to usurp power? Uh, and what I mean by Look, that is, it's my understanding that, that the head of the Wagner Group uh, came in, but he, and then he, they told him he could go to uh, Belarusia, but then he went back to Russia anyway. And I, I'm wondering if this was a pretext of Putin in order to um, get rid of generals he didn't like, who seem to be the only people he actually fears. So do, do you think that was an inside job that he did, or do you think that that was actually discontent with the, Look, the, the Wagner I, Group? I, ha- I have two episodes about this. I really spent time ignoring all the rumors and only did my first episode with fact-check material and everything. And then I had the idea that this could be fake. It involved also nuclear weapons because we watched the special news occasion that happened like in 3 a.m. Russia time. That was like, I think it was still intended to be watched by Biden. It's like, it was bizarre. But then next day, Lukashenko ex machina happened. This is how I call the event. So I don't even know anymore. I'm starting to think it's just like random, random chaos there. But the thing yeah, is, like, okay. right after that, Putin started his election campaign. And I was just wondering, because, you know, here they support these sovereign citizens. Meanwhile, Putin, mm-hmm. even though he, he fakes the elections and no one thinks the elections are fair. Right. Because they're cheated upon everything. I just wanted to ask you, like, you might know better about this, because um, mm-hmm. you're more academical. Why do these people even try to, like, at this point... The rule of law is done in Russia. Everything's just dead because they have just literally ordered... No, no, they have ordered the 
basically the cops and the state security service to like cancel the criminal investigation against Prigozhin, which has no legal basis to happen. It's just so bizarre. Like rule of law is just dead there. And it's chaos. Yet at the same time, they're making this appearance of elections. And at the same time, they support people in other countries who just refuse, like they all they believe all government is evil. I don't get what the logic is. Like, why do you keep faking these elections? And, and, and why do you need this thing in a blatant dictatorship? Why, do you, why, why, need, why even fake them? And why take great pains to like, make them legitimate and somehow brush it up? That, that's my biggest question here. I just... Right. In, in, in terms of Russia, why, 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 why bother with the premise of elective democracy yeah, if it doesn't yeah. exist? And another, another authoritarian government as well. Yeah. Like... Why? Um, why? Why create this? Why, why do this facade for the other? For other? Everyone in other countries knows it's like wrong, and I don't know. If you have any ideas, this is why you're here because this got me confused here. So uh, one of my friends, he's a contributor at CNN, and um, while he would he would not like me calling him a Russian expert because he doesn't speak very good Russian, he's one of the most uh, well versed people I know uh, in Russia, Michael Weiss. Uh, and I had a very similar question for him, which was basically the ridiculous propaganda coming out of the Kremlin, particularly when it was more funny, like 10 years ago. Like now it's everything's back when like Putin was riding a horse shirtless and, and going around in a submarine, finding Greco-Roman urns and tranquilizing a tiger, like ridiculous things that were so clearly staged. Whose benefit was it? His, his interpretation was that um, kind of Savvy urban people living in St. Petersburg and Moscow know that it's ridiculous, but that that there were much larger masses that he was attempting to appeal to. Uh, when I was in China a few years ago, I was doing a China International Stand-Up Comedy Competition in Shanghai in 2017 or 2018. Um, uh, uh, the, the country had had a, a massive authoritarian crackdown since when I'd previously been there. Google had been banned, Facebook had been banned, uh, a, a bunch of different websites. Everything had to be funneled through um, whatever the Chinese uh, state-owned app was. That way they could monitor your communication. And when I, when I started making friends with the locals, they all had VPNs uh, in order to bypass that. And, and I was like, are you going to get in trouble? And, and the attitude was pretty much, no, they don't really care about us. We're, we're, we're in, in Shanghai, we're, we're urban, we're cosmopolitan. But what they're worried about is if the peasants are able to actually get undiluted information. And so at least in China, there, were, there seemed to be this, um, a, an attempt to keep what, what the government viewed as rubes um, under their thumb. And I suspect that there could be the same thing in Russia. Now, I don't know Russia nearly as well. I don't know how sophisticated the population is, uh, whether everybody acknowledges that it's ridiculous or there are people that buy it hook, line, and sinker. But my yeah, presumption that, that, is that lot, there's lot, a lot of people a, actually buy that stuff into this. Yeah, my, my people, presumption is that there's, there's enough people that it's worth it to the regime to pretend to be a democracy. Yeah, but they changed the constitution. It's kind of like very silly. And at this point, the biggest issue is like, these people who actually used to buy this stuff, Putin being weak, like we also watched like a, a turbo right wing, and not in the good way, like national Bolsheviks and everyone and their friends, like uh, like Igor Igor Stelkov, you know that guy. We had his like wait, 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 is, Congress. Is, 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 is he the Communist Party guy that actually wants to nuke America? Like that's part of the platform. He's like one of the kind of controlled opposition characters. Have I got that right? I don't know if he's controlled, but uh, you're, you're thinking maybe of Zhirinovsky, but um, 
Could be. Igor Stelkov is the guy that blew up the MH17 plane who was like one of these... He's like the very fringe. He hates Putin, but he hates Putin because he thinks Putin is too weak and too pacifistic and too liberal. Got it, yes. Ah, uh, weak, pacifistic, liberal Putin. Yes. Um, um, and yeah, by, I, by, by, I, by the way, Zirinovsky, my, let, me, let me tell you, that you probably didn't listen to this episode, but Zirinovsky is an AI now. Zirinovsky, the guy who wanted to nuke everything, he died last year. Then uh, their party, who called themselves Liberal Democratic Party of Russia, nothing liberal with them, they wanted to nuke the volcano in Iceland to like sweep away the east coast of America in a huge flood, and that's the, one of the most sanest things he said. But uh, after that, after that, listen to this, after that, the party made a city slash chat GPT based AI clone that sounded and thought like Zurinovsky. And then two days ago, they decided to do even, even further, and they gave this AI voting rights in their own party. So now the very wow. first case on the planet Earth, where you have like AI rights ever, is with a bot that is like Zhirinovsky, who wants the nuke United States of America inside of Russia. You know, say what you will about the Liberal Democratic Party of Russia. They have a very clear volcano policy and cutting-edge AI politicians. No, the dumbest part, like, they didn't know what they were doing at all. Uh, it was accidental. To, to, to add to the Russia thing, though, um, it, it's my interpretation, talking to the, the Russians that I've met, that uh, there's a really deep inbuilt cynicism within the Russian state, or I should say within the Russian people, and that um, one of Vladimir Putin's tactics in terms of domestic propaganda is whenever anything uh, bad happens in American election, uh, I would assume in European elections, to, to broadcast that to the Russian people, any any corruption, any hypocrisy, things like that, to really, oh, yeah, really all put of that. it out there. All of that, 100%, with, yeah. Right, with, with the goal of convincing people of like, look, it's all a sham. Uh, there, there aren't good governments, there aren't bad governments, they're all bad, there's not real elections, it's all staged, and, and kind of stick with the guy you know, but don't think about it too hard, and everybody just remains cynical. And so I think that's part of it too, is there's this attempt to make uh, actual liberal democracy look as though it is a sham democracy from Russia looking out, so well, that there's it, no lust over it. They blatantly said in the, that night when Prigozhin's coup cap, uh, happened in that newest show, that the um, United States and Russia are the same, same sham, sham democracies. No voting rights either way, everyone cheats in elections. Why they are criticizing us, how dare they criticize us for us having a dictatorship when they have the same thing. Literal quote from, from there. Well, I mean, we do have administrative turnover a lot more. Like, I'll, I'll, I don't want to give them... I, I, I will, how about this? As an American, uh, it does bother me that we only have one more option than the Russians. I think we could do a lot better than that. We have two options, and the Russians have one option, so we're twice as good. Uh, but I, I would love it if we had even more, and we had uh, more than a red team and a blue team for uh, 360 million people. Uh, but at the same time, we do actually have turnover. We do actually have uh, elections that affect the course of government and administration. One would think that the rather bitter elections that transpired between Biden and Trump and Hillary Clinton and Trump before that would be emblematic of that to some extent. Well, see, the other thing is, you, when your guy loses, that he moves over and admits that, you know, there is a transfer of power between parties. Usually. It didn't happen one time recently, but... Uh, all the preceding times, the, the losing candidate always acknowledges that. Well, ish, like, that's the thing. I think really Putin honestly believes he doesn't believe in democracy, but like, 
if I think about this, I mean, right now also I, I have this all this idea that a lot of people think that Putin's a master strategist, but he's been at this position since like 1999. And if you look, for example, the clearest example that I know is like Barack Obama, right? If you look at Barack Obama and his pictures when he stepped into the office and when he left the office, you'll see two different people there. Oh, yeah. And now the, imagine the, the, someone the being... ages people pretty quick. Yeah, and now Putin's like over 70 and he's like, you know, like I said, in power since 1999. And, you know, Dmitry Medvedev, well, old Jimon, uh, yeah, he's more of a joke character than actual, you know, interlude somewhere there. Have you, uh, have you read The Dictator's Handbook? Because I think you would really enjoy it. Have you read that by uh, no, Alistair Smith? No, actually, I haven't. I didn't even know such a book existed. I think you'd really enjoy it. Um, I, I need to go back and reread it because it was um, it was kind of mind blowing. Alistair Smith, I, I, he's an American political scientist who I think is a Democrat and and um, is is not making the case for dictatorship, incidentally. But the thesis to his book is basically that um, in the United States and in the Western tradition broadly, we like to make a taxonomical chart of different types of government. There are monarchies, there are republics, there are democracies, there are liberal democracies, there are so on and so forth. And we can kind of, you know, figure out, well, that that, that one is a, a, you know, that one's a social democracy and so on and so forth. Um, he makes the case that there's just one spectrum for all of government, that all governments are on a spectrum and it's all structural and uh, what we call it, whether it's democracy, republic, whatever, that that's complete window dressing. But in reality, uh, it functionally just boils down to how big is the constituency that gets you into power and how big is the constituency that keeps you in power? And so makes he makes sense. the argument, li liberal democracy is still the best thing to do because if, if, I, if I have to come to power by convincing, if I have to come to you know, the Senate, let's say, by convincing 8 million people to elect me and in order to not get ousted, I have to win the primaries. So let's say I have to keep a million people happy. There's still quite a lot of people. And so as a result, I'm apt to be investing in public goods and in infrastructure and things that can uh, please a lot of people. Whereas when you're in smaller regimes, I, I'm, I'm in the Saudi royal family. Uh, I need to, in order to get into power, maybe 20 people, you know, in the royal family. If, if the whole royal family's mad at me, maybe they'll kill me. But if I can keep 20 people in the royal family happy, I'm okay. And then once I'm in power, I have to keep the royal family happy and maybe the top generals. So let's say there's like maybe 200 people I got to keep happy in order to not get assassinated as, as the, the king of Saudi Arabia. Very different scheme there, because now I'm going to allocate resources to those 200 people and not give a shit about any of the other people. And, and so for him, it's this continuous spectrum um, that has to do with resource allocation and constituency size. And so he would look, I think, at, at Russia and say, that is a very small constituency. That the, the amount of people that Putin needs to remain in power is what the military and some oligarchs. But, but I don't know how many it is. You know better than me. Probably less than five hundred. Uh, I think at this point, by the way, um, if you look by this metric, then um, let's just say that Brezhnev and Gorbachev had more people that they needed to please than Putin does now. I hadn't thought of that. That's fascinating. Yeah, uh, I mean. There, there was a semblance of an electoral process within the uh, within the Politburo, yeah, correct? Because if you uh, think, you know, you needed to please the some like I don't know, twentieth or eighteenth or whatever, you just needed to please the party congress, which was like all the regional heads and like people of power like over there. Right now, uh, it's yeah, like, I, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, you could argue that the Soviet Union's more democratic than 
the current Russia is. I think that that's actually a fairly compelling argument. Yeah, if, if you're looking at by the people you needed to please, then definitely, yeah. And the thing is, like, Soviet Union, after Stalin, the, the power wasn't absolute. You d- couldn't just, like, say... Like, you, you couldn't do things you did, you did now because they were obsessed with process, right? KGB beat you up and tortured you, but they made you sign your confession paper, and then they only, like, sent you to Siberia and killed you, you know? Mm-hmm. But right now, Putin just ignores that even. It's just that, you know, it just doesn't happen. It's just that, yeah, in this case, and I, I thought about this because currently there's a higher conviction rate in, in Putin's Russia than in Stalin's Soviet Union. In Stalin's really? era, yeah, in Stalinist era, if you went in front of a court, there was a kangaroo court, you had 97.6% chance that you were going to be sent to gulags or something. 976 in modern day Putin's Russia, it's ninety eight point ninety eight point eight. It's bizarre. Uh, okay, help help me out as an American. So I'm I'm going to use a much more benign example, um, and and, I, and that'll clarify where my head's at on this. Uh, so uh, Barack Obama deported more more people coming over the Mexican border in the United States than George W. Bush did. Uh, but when you when you dive into that, um, uh, Bush wasn't deporting them, going through the process of, of getting them legally deported, they were doing a program called catch and release. So when people came over the border, if they were apprehended, they would be taken back across the border and dropped off, whereas uh, it went through the judicial process under Obama. Hence, he actually deported more people than George W. Bush. But if you were looking at the sum total of people that didn't go through the legal process, it would probably still be George W. Bush. So is it something like that with Putin and Stalin, where uh, Stalin was whacking way more people, but the people going through the courts are... Uh, no, 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 man. The, Stalin, Stalin made everyone go through the legal process as well. He was obsessed okay. with the system as well. He was lawful evil, like I told you. Yeah, okay. It's just so, the so ratio he, of people who went in front... Like, Stalin actually pardoned some people sometimes to make himself look nice, you know. To just, right. you know, put you in front of a trial, make a mock execution, do all this stuff. But he could, th- theoretically, sometimes in like... Um, 2.6% of cases let you go. Putin lets you go in 1.2% of cases. It's still ridiculously small, but there's but like there's something if you beat Stalin's numbers and cruelty and like if, if Stalin has a bit larger number of people he lets go to you know, keep of the appearances than Putin, that says something. You know? Yeah, but I mean, oh my god, I don't want to have to swing for Putin on this, but I I Putin's not killing as many people as Stalin, correct? Like Stalin's sending people to gulags. He has the uh, oh yeah, that, 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 the, the that Ukrainian is true. genocide. That is so true. so like, like 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 people are are going to prison under under Putin, but they're but it is prison, right? It's not they're not going sent to the gulag to starve to death. Comrade, comrade, if if gulags would look, if gulags would would still be so more or less accepted by the global populace, then sure they would die. But you are true. That is true. Stalin killed more people. Uh, meanwhile, Putin just you know. Punishes more people through the judicial system. Courts are worse, Steph. Well, I mean, I, I have heard that it's incredibly arbitrary in Russia. Like, uh, occasionally an oligarch will get busted and arrested and uh, flee the country or something. And they, they tend to say that in the statements that I've read that it's impossible to do business at a large level in Russia without breaking the law. Everybody, in order to do a large scale business, has to break the law. And so the law is kind of, it's, it's an arbitrary weapon that is used to punish enemies rather than an objective application. Ostensibly liberal regimes, the, the, the law is a system that everybody is equally plugged into and it ought to be universally applied, but it's, it's, uh, it's done on a basis of favoritism or, or enemy punishment in Russia at this time, yeah? Mm-hmm. And um, 
If you are sent governor of some region and you want some money because you know you're just there and you have this permission to steal, as like um, you know, as part of being a governor, the system is very simple. You see a successful business in Russia, you know that they're breaking the law in some way. Just send them uh, various checks, you know, people from the government checking on everything, like health inspection, tax inspection, all this stuff. At some point, 17 inspections per, inspections per day can happen legally. Stop. And then just po politely say to the business owner, oh, hello there. Uh, I, I'm please sell the business to me for extremely low or you will go to prison. So basically, just, you know, businesses are pushed out. The the, the region takes over, in fact, the government. And then the whole, like, then the governor basically uh, mortgages everything to Sberbank for a huge ass loan, which Sberbank gives. And Sberbank makes the profit by just, you know, selling out the equipment or properties or whatever to foreign countries or just, you know, to scrap all the equipment they had. Basically, you know, you take over a business and then you, you have no interest in running it. You just destroy it and everyone picks up the profits. Sberbank, who has sold it off, no one cares about the Russian taxpayer, obviously, and you have just, you know, pocketed a lot of money as a governor. And all these people who used to work in the business, especially like single business cities and towns, well, you know, sucks to be them, but not like anyone cares. Do, do prosecutors... Russia, territorial discretion. So like in the United States, uh, there are lots of laws that people are breaking on a regular basis. Um, we, we have a proliferation of laws in, in recent history where, uh, I don't know, you, you, you watch a movie or something on Amazon, but you cross the border. I, I, I don't know, stuff, stuff that no one would reasonably get mad at. You're still technically breaking a law, but no prosecutor is going to go after you for it uh, because prosecutors have a limited budget. Um, they have limited time resources and they have to prioritize what they're going to go after. So if you've accidentally broken a low-level law, it's probably never going to come to fruition. Um, plus, the prosecutor is is independent or, or nominally independent in the American system. But it sounds like in the in the Russian system that is not the case. That you're 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 not being constrained by um, a, a a prosecutor saying, uh, "I'm not going to bother with this. This would be ridiculous. Everybody breaks that law." But rather that they are the the prosecutors are within the executive branch and using the judiciary to further their own corruptive ends. Well, they're not legally in the, in the executive branch, but in de facto they are. Okay, yeah. It's kind of like, um, you, you do the cases which your local, you know, United Russia member tells you to. This is how, um, this is how a governor of Hakassia got away with like a 20,000 ruble fine and uh, a year of suspended sentence for just drunk driving where he killed like a, a pregnant lady and her two other kids. Oh my God. The car, yeah. Like uh, that's All about right. like uh, about a thousand dollars fine and a two and a year suspended sentence for that. Okay, so and he only was prosecuted because of public outrage. Yeah, I, I would describe that as a, a despotic system. I mean, I, I think what is the, the definition of despotism is arbitrary power, right? Where uh, just a, a despot wields power based on whim. It sounds like this is just kind of uh, uh, despotism with neckties. Well. Uh... Look, currently, after Prigozhin's coup, what lawful system? They put, they put people in prisons for, like, walking outside empty-handed, pretending to hold a protest sign. That lands you two years in prison straight up. But really? you can, like, march on Moscow with 10,000 people, kill, like, seven, seven planes, including the very valuable pilots, take over some cities, and, like, you know, 
they even returned him his like uh, money, which they you know they they searched Prigozhin's offices and get some laundered money, returned that, returned gold bars, returned guns. I don't know what happened to his cocaine though, which they also found. But I presume that was also returned to Prigozhin, and you get to move to Belarus, and then even not do that because you travel back to Russia all the time. What do you mean, law rule of law, comrade? <laughs> Well, I know that you've done two episodes on this, but um, I, I want to go back to this because it's fascinating. Um, why did Putin want to murder this dude? I, I would think that a despot would want to kill somebody organizing a pooch. Um, and I would assume that he has the military military capacity to do it. Was he was he truly worried and ended up getting a deal going? Or are, are they buddies? I mean, I, I know that the, 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 the guy did the old, if only the czar knew routine. Uh, you know, and I, I have no problem with Putin. No one's saying anything bad about Putin. It's these other generals I don't like, right? So was that acceptable? I think it's, I think it's very simple. I think if Putin could put it, kill Prigozhin, he would. I honestly think he, for some reason, simply can't. Which is surprising and shows Putin's weakness, because this is how most Russian people think at this point. Which is that it's so bizarre. Because currently... Currently, what, what do you even do? And, and now today, like, this whole situation, the problem is we, we spoke, like, in the last episode um, about how I, I think Putin's, like, losing his own trust in this military. Because the military is obviously very angry at Putin showing weakness and not, you know, because military guys died, you know, in this situation. And then recently a general named Popov also said basically the same things Prigozhin said. And because he was, he was complaining about under-equipment and the fact that his soldiers are not being rotated, not giving enough ammunition or food, and he, you know, tried to speak with the higher-ups about this. But as this was after Prigozhin's coup, he was just instantly fired. And then he made an audio recording to his own troops, which went public. And now, today, uh, special units uh, from VDV, uh, basically airborne assault infantry of Russia, also made a similar thing. And it seems like all the motivated units that actually believed, you know, the Russian propaganda are now stating that we want to win this war, but fuck Putin, and, you know, if we don't change the leadership, we're going to lose all this war. They are also thinking, by the way, interestingly enough, that Putin, for some reason, wants to make some sort of Dagovarnachok, or, like, deal-making stuff that he's, like, you know, pretending and just making deals with the West. And they're like, we need to destroy Putin because he wants to be friendly with the West, and, you know, Putin needs to go harder and use nukes and shit. Which is kind of scary, because, again, this makes Putin unable to make any deals because then he'll get killed. And if Putin goes away, you will also not be able to do any deals because the people who are probably going to replace him hate the idea of making deals. The, the, uh, yeah. the, the, the putsch was very popular in America for all of 24 hours that it lasted. Uh, and my position was, be careful what you wish for. Uh, because I, I, it did not seem to me that replacing, that if, if Vladimir Putin fell and got beheaded or something, and his former uh, chef slash criminal buddy became head of the Russian Federation, that that would necessarily be an improvement. Uh, I don't know. I, I, one would hope that the next leader to replace uh, Putin will be better, but I don't think there's any guarantee on it. I, I do want to spin back to the very beginning of our conversation, mm -hmm. yeah. though, Kristaps, uh, where, where you, you brought up the sovereign citizen thing. I think you've made a pretty good case that if I were in Russia, I would be a sovereign citizen. Based on everything you're saying, I don't think I would describe that as a legitimate government that I feel would have a moral imperative to enforce law. If, if you were in Russia, would you be a sovereign citizen, or would you, would you back up the state? Uh, yeah, in Russia, that makes sense. But the problem is they're funding sovereign citizens everywhere else that is not Russia. 
In Russia, I think you, if you are a sovereign citizen, then you are probably sitting in prison at this point. And working for the Bratva, you know, the, 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 under the thieves law, I suppose, which Prigozhin comes from. Let, let, me, let me amend this. If I were a sovereign citizen, in, excuse me, if I were Russian, I would quietly be a sovereign citizen. But I, I, I think I would, I, would view, uh, I would view the Russian state, where I am in Russia, as a, a, an illegitimate authority pretending to be a legitimate authority. Uh, and that means well, that, that it, I, would, I, would, I would do what they wanted insofar as they could enforce the law, but not because I thought that it had any moral imperative to it. Well, welcome to the views of Russian opposition. This is exactly how they feel about the country. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that they would have a point there. Like, it, it sounds like a, an unelected dictator presiding over a despotic system with arbitrarily wielded judicial power uh, is, is one that I would, I would not feel like capital L legitimate. I need to do what they tell me because we all agreed to the social contract. Well, um, social contract is something the filthy Americans invented, obviously. <laughs> uh, by by our, our finest president, John Locke. Uh, by the way, by the great, way the dumb, great American. <laughs> and, and to kind of uh, hit, hit the hardest, two days ago, they also made a bunch of laws in, in Russia, which are completely against people's freedoms. They not only banned uh, uh, gender, gender exchange surgery, like you cannot have gender, like anything. You, you can't be transgender in Russia, basically. You can't, it's not illegal to, have that, illegal to have that surgery. And that would be bad on its own. But, you know, they went two steps further. First of all, they banned them from being able to, you know, adopt, adopt children. However, if you, if you were a transgender person who had adopted children before, those children will now be taken away from your family and put into an orphanage. God. Furthermore, if you, if they are, they, you are no, not, no, longer, no longer allowed to marry, and if you had been married before, your marriage is now officially annulled too. Even if, okay, hold on, I'm going to run a scenario by you. Uh, let's say... I am male. I'm gonna. I'm gonna bungle some of the terms here. Anybody offended? I. I, I promise. I'm not doing this to be mean. It, it's merely clumsiness on my part. But let, let's say I, I uh, had spent the first half of my life as male presenting, and I married a woman, and then I, uh, and then I went through gender affirming care to to become a transgender woman. They would annul that marriage, even yes, though that, and take the, away the, your the, kids. The, yes, and take away your kids too. Okay. And put them into our so, 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 so they're like, so it's, it was already mean. I, I follow that, that it was mean spirited law. It's not even logically coherent. It's just how do, we, how do we slap the people as hard as we can? Yes. It's just, yes. I mean, and I, it, 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 this, it, was, it was a mean spirited law, and then they somehow, with, with additions at the same day, made it even worse. Because, you know, already taken away kids from their parents is like imagine this you're growing up and something like that happened to you and one day you're 13 and your, your family is a bit strange but then you find out you're literally going to be taken to an orphanage and your, your parents are no longer even like allowed to get married and, and their, their, their marriage is annulled at this point it's like like that stops being just you know cons that stops being you know in some sort of way you know that's that just pure evil, I think, because this is going to put I, the kids I, I, into I, stuff. Just... I very much agree with you. I think um, uh, having a parent that is uh, statistically uh, in a minority does not disqualify the love of that parent. And one would think that if you went through the process of adopting a kid and love the kid and are raising the kid, that that would be a far, far better environment for the and child. Also think, and also think about this, the situation that you said, right? You know, 
you identified as a man, you married a woman, you had kids with her, then you decided to, you know, I don't know, you, you went to a war zone, you came back mentally broken, decided to change your gender, but you, you know, for the kids, you stayed together with the woman for the law reasons, whatever, you know, even that kid will be taken away from you and put into an orphanage. Yeah, that's monstrous. That's horrible. Uh, using kids as collateral damage. Um, so, so there too, like, here's a weird question for you. If we accept the premise that, uh, that Putin has a very small constituency of oligarchs, military generals, whatever it is, right? It's smaller than that of, of Mikhail Gorbachev. It's a small constituency that he needs to keep happy to retain power. They, they, <clears throat> they care that much about transgender issues? I, I would just assume that the Russian oligarchs are fairly cosmopolitan dudes hanging out in Western Europe. Uh, is it that the generals are super social traditionalists? Like, if, if he doesn't need to get elected for real, why bother doing all that? He, oh, he because, personally tr because, truly wants to just uh, purify no, the because, country of transgender people? No, no, because, you know, he needs to find some sort of external enemy and just, you know, do pretend that he's very Russian, the Russian values. The thing is, like, recently, by the way, talking about more weaponizing kids, there is this law in Russia which doesn't allow, like, Westerners to adopt Russian children as well. Which means that a lot of Russian disabled people, disabled kids and, and kids with like, you know, various problems and health issues, they just, you know, can't get their medicine because you Westerners are actually sometimes kind souls and you would like to adopt sometimes, you know, kids with trouble, from troubled families and all this stuff. There was a lot of adoption from, by the West with Russian kids. And one dude from the United Russia Party decided to basically, well, screw this shit that they're going to teach them evil American imperialism, just ban this stuff, which is... Which has, at this point, caused little kids to die in Russia because they, you know, they couldn't be adopted, but Russian orphanages, Russian state didn't pay for the medicine, so they literally died. And then he basically, at the beginning of the war, he defected to France and said, fuck Putin, like, screw this stuff. But then he was like the guy who invented, introduced this law. And someone asked him, do you even feel responsible for all the kids and all the suffering that you've caused? And he said, well, I never thought about this. I just, you know, wanted to, you know, rise up in the ranks in the United Russia Party. That seemed like a patriotic law to, you know, sleaze up. Sounds like a dick. Uh, yeah, that. Um, what one yeah, would I mean, think of if that, that any humane society would would make it easy for good people to adopt. Um, uh, yeah, that's the, the that, thing. Like, like, look, look. And at the same time, they call us in the West the like, and we have many faults. I, I will be first to admit that European Union is a sluggish bureaucratic system, which is too too bothered to deal with the Brussels and everything. But look. We don't intentionally kill children. We sometimes kill them because of stupid rulings and, you know, not looking at them hard enough or something. But we don't have laws that intentionally kill kids, at least. And then, then you know, th then they're, like, telling us that they're the good guys and just... This is the point that you... This is the point that you, you made about how many people you need to please. They... Um. <laughs> This is kind of like the fact that they just don't care about all these other masses. They don't care about like all these little kids that you know will probably die or whatever. They're not voters. They're not a power base. No one cares about well, their rights. According to Alistair Smith, um, the the rather cynical interpretation of dictators is that children aren't stakeholders. Um, uh, again, none of this is a good thing. Uh, but I, I think he even has a chapter in it. I think called like "Kids Don't Vote" or something like that, talking about how like you know awful things that Saddam Hussein did, uh, and that. Children aren't aren't 
a, a part of the matrix of people that you need to get to believe in you to hold on to power. And so they are going to be considered expendable by a uh, despotic regime, which according to Smith's definition, I think would just be one that has a very tiny constituency. Yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, this is why I think like, you know, and you might disagree with me here, but one of the, like, I, I see all this stuff Russia does and they don't even want to make a deal, but this is why I actually honestly think, you know, I was also watching, watching how how they believe all this stuff and or the, all about their imperialism. This stuff makes me genuinely think that making some sort of deal with Russia at this point would just be morally wrong because I don't know. To to me, and you might disagree with me. To me, making deal with Putin is kind of like making deal with Hitler or something. Because hmm. at this point, yeah, I have just seen too much. And maybe it's my emotions talking. You might again disagree, but. That's my view here. And I just where, don't know what's going to happen there. I would, I would really like the Russians to deal with Putin themselves and somehow deal with this stuff. But they live in a police state, and that's pretty difficult. So, I don't know. I'm just kind of sad that we, we live in such a horrible reality, to be honest. I concur. Uh, it's not so much that I disagree with you, as I just don't see any good options. Uh, oh, yeah, me uh, neither. I, I, yeah. I, I, to be honest, option I don't. one, we... We, we make a deal with an evil regime and an evil dictator. That's not a good thing. I say we. It could be the Ukrainians or however we want to define we. Um, option two, uh, the United States continues to fund the, the war in Ukraine for another couple of years because I, I highly doubt that we're going to do it in perpetuity. Um, even if we did, I mean, let, let's say that we funded it for 20 years and, they, and, and the, the border kept going back and forth. The amount of people that would die would be incredible. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's more likely that we will quit funding it in the next two or three years, uh, at which point funding it now would just be prolonging the conflict until the deal is made. The best option presumably would be that the Ukrainians are able to take and liberate the entire country. But I, as you pointed out when you came on my program, um, these, these areas have now been annexed by Russia, according to Russia. Now, we can disagree with the sovereignty that they hold over the eastern uh, provinces in Crimea, but legally within the Russian Federation, they are now Russian. And it seems like a very unlikely thing that Putin or his successor would uh, give up what he claims is Russian territory. Yeah, that's uh, exactly so true. I, that is true, by so the way. I, I think it, it's, it's rather unlikely mm. that they'll be able to push all the Russians out. So mm. I don't see any good options here. I do, I do see one thing, though, which I, because Prigozhin did one, one good thing, at least. Because of what Prigozhin did and destroyed, like, uh, like the hardest hardcore fans of Russia, the, the true guys who volunteered to go to this war and conquer Ukraine and all this stuff, they're all, like, seeing Putin as being failure. And like I said, if anyone changes Putin, Chechnya goes out, and I think it's really going to fall apart. I think Ukraine just needs to hold up until, even worse, things than Prigozhin's coup happens in Russia, because um, I'm very sorry, but if you can't call a country stable where a random mercenary company decides to march on, 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 on Moscow and is stopped at the last moment by making a deal and the, the, the government doesn't even quash them at all. So you, and now, uh, uh, basically hold out for a black swan event is what that sounds like, of, of Ukraine yeah, just but, keep going indefinitely and maybe somebody will shoot. I don't think indefinitely. I do not think indefinitely. Uh, I think it's going to be... Currently, for example, the very pro-Putin Russians, pro-war Russians, are very afraid of getting one decisive military defeat because they truly think that these things will happen in the future as well, very quickly. We're talking about a year or something. Uh, that I, I, that's my view. 
How, and then again, I might be mistaken, and I, I want I want some optimistic results here. You know, I might be looking at this with rose tinted glasses, but I believe if, if, that if I'm understanding you correctly, what, what what you're positing then is that um, if if the conflict continues to go on, there's a limited amount of patience, social capital, mm -hmm. or money that the Russian state can expend on the war effort, and and it eventually will hit a wall where where Putin's taken out of power. So it's yes. a waiting game for Ukraine, and if they can wait yes. long enough, Putin will be out of power. Okay. I think I think the the breaking point, which is going to definitely be the like, I think things like a twenty fourth of March next year is where the <clears throat> event formerly known as elections will happen in Russian Federation. And at that point, if the war is still going on, then Putin get reelected, ish, you know, with the fake this fake this idea, he's going to have to do massive crackdowns because that's where everyone who dislikes Putin, both from the sides of you know stop the war, why are doing this, and from fight harder, the evil European American terrible Nazi people are invading and all this stuff. That's the thing. That's where you're going to see mass protests. That's where the cracks will start to appear. I think that's the moment. I, okay. and, uh, that, that's that's my thing. But we'll see then. I, I really hope for this to end, and I think that um, I really I, one thing is for certain: no matter how this stuff ends, Putin will leave power at one point. Sooner or later, he has to go. Like, he's not immortal after all, right? And when that happens, Ramzan Kadyrov and Chechnya will declare their third independence war in, immediately. Basically, they'll just declare independence and and stuff, and then Tatarstan will follow. Because any other president is the Far right hates Ramzan Kadyrov. Far left hates Ramzan Kadyrov. Everyone in between hates Ramzan Kadyrov. Literally anyone else in Russia who would take any power in United Russia will basically uh, put Ramzan Kadyrov in prison instantly. Ramzan Kadyrov does not want to be put in prison. So uh, if he's not dead, he'll try to leave Russia. And that's going to be their, the beginning of their collapse because it destroyed political institutions. And I have said this multiple times. But then again, this is again all speculation, which is what I what, what I can present to you. We're gonna have to wait and see. And you know, I think I'm 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 right on this, but again, I might be terribly wrong about stuff. Obviously, oh, I man. think when, when I, uh, wanted <laughs> I wanted a fun conversation. We've turned on to very depressing matters because everything I promise to my listeners is actually pretty much terrible stuff happening in the next decade with all the global warming and the fact that Russia just went out of the grain deals. You know, they, they, they're not going to provide, uh, they're going to stop Ukrainian ships providing grain and, and food for African countries, and they're not going to provide it otherwise. And we already had, like, what, Haiti, Pakistan on the verge of collapse, Sri Lanka collapsing completely. There's going to be starvation, a lot of starvation in the world, because Russia just decided to quit the grain deal. And Turkey is going to help maybe provide Ukrainian ships with some, you know, coverage, but it's, it it's going to look rough. Sadly, this. Um, this next decade is going to be pretty uh, horrible, either way you look at it. Even if this war ends in the best possible scenario, um, I'm sorry, I can't offer you any good times. Because there's going to be I, like... I, I can, I can offer your listeners a little bit more optimism than you can. Shall, shall, I, shall I attempt to be a, a ray of hope well, in the darkness? Well, please do. You are like a, a half British, half American person. You are a Westerner. My job is to be sad and miserable because that's all I see. Yeah. And this is why I have you on the show. And after you do that, we're going to open this to questions because we've been at this for a bit. But uh, sure, please do all. Please, please. I, I, I will, I will treat this as your, uh, your, your thesis. After which, my dear listeners will be able to ask questions of him. Okay. Um, so uh, my, my thesis is this: I am very worried about the prospect of nuclear war. Um, that is something that could happen, and that is why 
one of the reasons that I'm very worried about Ukraine. So that remains on the table, and I think it's very important we avoid nuclear war or doing anything that would precipitate nuclear war. Outside of that contingency, I am optimistic on all fronts. Um, global warming is happening. It is Anthropocene. Uh, we should be trying to fix it. Fortunately, I, I just uh, interviewed a guy. The episode's not out on my show, The Political Orphanage, yet, but it will be. Um, he's a, a, an energy Self expert. Ads. Huh? Self-ads, yeah. Self-ads. One of the smartest guys I've ever spoken to. Um, and I, I asked him, what gets you in trouble within the energy sector? Like, what opinion would be verboten? Uh, and, and he said that it wasn't so much within the energy sector, but when he tells people that he's optimistic about the future, they get very mad at him. And the reason he's optimistic about the future as an energy expert is that the cost of solar panels and wind power is rapidly declining. The efficiency is rapidly going up. Um, the safety from nuclear power and the um, general inclination of the public is moving that direction. And so he looks at it and goes, look, the without us even trying to be you know, good people versus greedy people, the market mechanisms are already in place that the, the developed world is going to radically reduce its carbon output in the near future. And that we, he thinks we will get ahead of it. I share his optimism on that. Um, long term, I, I share his optimism in that um, the uh, IPCC, the uh, International Panel on Climate Change, which is the, the gold standard in the United Nations by which kind of everybody's data is coming from, um, the doomsday scenarios that they're projecting are based on the second and third world continuing to advance and industrialize. So the, the concern is that as everybody in the world starts to industrialize and get up to Western levels, that will be an incredible amount of carbon, which is true. Um, what is left out of that equation, which can't be factored into that equation, is the fact that that also means that all of these people that are currently living in subsistence agriculture in Africa and Central Asia that are living in, in horrible poverty, just avoiding starvation, are going to be able to participate in all of the same problems that we're actively participating in. I don't think that the, the technological innovations that are going to save us from our, our own miserable mistakes have to come out of Silicon Valley or have to come out of Europe. I think people in Africa and Asia are just as smart as anybody in Europe. And we're about to see the most massive accumulation of brain power in all of human history over the course of our lifetimes. People that have been trapped in poverty are now coming out of it. And there, there are Steve Jobs and Albert Einsteins all over this world that are going to be putting their minds towards those, those solutions. So I, I remain very optimistic on that front. Um, well, you do, and I will allow you to remain optimistic on that front. For me, it sounds terribly naive to hope that this won't be stolen by corporations for profit and that... If, if Look, I will be happy even if 10% of what you just said will actually happen, to be honest. But uh, I truly, look, I, I hope that you will be right, and I am the deeply cynical one who always sees the worst things in people. I truly hope you are right, sir. I do not, I do not think you will be. But then again, that's my job as the cynical Eastern European. But I honestly, but can, at this point, I hope I that you are. It, are, are, are we dueling hunches or is there any data? It, 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 either one's fine, but like... But the thing is, like, for, like, for one, for one I, I know that China is just... China and India are just ignoring that stuff and China's building more coal plants and they're just dumping electric cars and they're overfishing and you, like, breaking the laws. They're, they're doing a lot <sighs> of things, but they're also, they're also building 245 new nuclear plants. Uh, um, so hopefully I, that I think... works. And Russia has, like, technological catastrophes and if, I, if I'm right about their thing, we're going to have a bunch of warlords with nukes there. Oh, Warlords with nukes would be bad, but in terms in terms of the nuclear power, even including Chernobyl and including uh, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, if you add up everybody that's died from nuclear power, it's still a lot safer. Look, I know, I know, sure I know that. I know that. I'm pro nuclear power, by the way, very much. Okay, okay. So, 
I'm just saying, that, like, China's doing some other things too. I, I could see them. I could see them changing that. Like the pro the uh, problem is the problem is I have recently been looking up this information and I watched a person who was uh, from from uh, Latin America and he was like making a really an hour long episode on this climate change issue and he said that we are th that's probably not going to happen in South America and we're going to see massive massive mic riots and problems there. And again, I didn't prepare maybe, for I, this I, climate we, change we, we, stuff, we, we, but I, I really did. No, no, one go, day, go ahead. One I, I, day, we can one, talk about it more, but I, I think you want to move on, and I, I don't want to be a dick about it. So I think please, like, please. I, I haven't prepared for this. I can just uh, I can't really give you a source date at this point because it's like I watched this YouTube video, and I'm gonna have to Google this one up. But that's gonna take a bunch of time, and we'd be like speaking for like an hour or something. So I'll find, talk to you later. But I truly hope that I that you're right here. I want to. I want you to be right, man. I want to be wrong on this one. That's a thing. Because um, again, I disagree with you, but. Uh, your opinions, your future sounds much better than the one envisioned in my head. So I'd rather live in your future than the, mine. The, so. the, the, other, the other bit that I would advise people to look at. So I, I, I think that um, in, in terms of ecology and climate change, I, I think that the, the arc of history is on my side. And in, in, in that we're very good as a human species at uh, projecting current deficits onto the future without being able to see the solutions that will obviate those those deficits in the first place. So there's lots and lots and lots of recorded instances where, uh, like in 1800, um, uh, somebody, an economist went, New York can never have more than a million people in it, because as we all know, um, uh, we need about six horses per person in terms of the transportation network. So were it to get you know, eight million people, the amount of, it would be crazy. You'd have to have shit troughs and things, get all the horses through. And he, you know, he didn't know that we were going to invent uh, uh, subways and things like that. So I, I think there's plenty of instances where we, we tend to project doomsday ecologically uh, and are proven wrong. Uh, the, the, the famous Paul Ehrlich, um, uh, Simon Wager is an example of that, where uh, two famous economists in the 80s, uh, uh, one of them uh, challenged Ehrlich, who's very much a doomsayer. Ehrlich, by the way, claimed that I think half the population of the planet would starve to death by the year 2000, uh, and he was completely 100% wrong about that. Um, and, and Simon said, pick any metal, pick any, any resource you want, we'll, we'll revisit it in 10 years, and I bet it'll be cheaper. And Ehrlich picked, I don't know, tungsten or copper or something. No, it was cheaper. Um, so there's lots of instances like that. I, I, I think broad, broadly that that's there. And I, I would say we take a, a bigger step back, um, uh, something that might make you feel slightly better or, or horribly worse, I don't know. Uh, you're familiar with with Rawls' veil of ignorance, that that um, social con or that that uh, thought experiment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so for for listeners unfamiliar with this, Rawls' veil of ignorance is the idea that uh, if you were going to be if your soul was going to draw uh, draw a lottery, uh, and you didn't know what station you were going to be born to in life, you didn't know if you were going to be uh, poor or rich, or a woman or a man, or uh, an ethnic minority or a religious minority or whatever. Um, would, yeah, would that yeah, you have to make okay. you have to make decisions based upon like like if you would be reincarnated in someone else at random if you'd believe in reincarnation you would be reincarnated into a random position of a person somewhere right. in the world you basically you your objectively best thing to do would be like making sure that every position is the best one so that's the thing. exactly I, I i don't know if he was a utilitarian but it would seem to work to a utilitarian end i would take that that uh Rawls veil of ignorance, veil of ignorance, and apply it to the time-space continuum. Uh, if if you didn't know where you were going to be born, you didn't know the station, gender, minority, anything like that. All you could pick was the date. What year would you pick? I think I'd pick now. I I, I think that you know, in terms of what we have now, in terms of medical science, global literacy rates, 
uh, the, the poverty rate in my lifetime, I'm 39. In my lifetime, something like 3 billion people have been lifted up out of poverty. Like in, in, in 1820, no, 1780, 80% of the world's population lived in incredible, incredible poverty. Like people would be permanently uh, disfigured and hunched over and anemic from starvation for their entire lives. Like they were, they were horrible, unimaginable poverty. And now it's completely flipped. 80% of the world is no longer below that threshold. 20% 20, 20 still we, we need to raise up, right? But um, uh, uh, poverty's my, never been better. Uh, my admin, my admin says better. she'd pick 1950, by the way. She'd pick 1950? She's the aunt of the show. She takes care of the Discord. Uh, she's from the Netherlands, and she said she'd pick 1950. Apparently, she my, wanted my, to be 20 in 1970, I suppose. My, my, my parents probably would as well. Um, but like, I, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but in Oklahoma, I wouldldn't want to be born in Oklahoma in 1950 if I were black. Uh, I don't know that I'd want that to be true, born yeah. in, in, in you know 1940 if I were a woman. Uh, I, I would for, for right now, I would definitely take my chances now if I had to pick a time to be born. Uh, I, I think in terms of just kind of all the metrics by which we can judge human misery and human flourishing, we're doing very well now compared to most of it. I would uh, like so to be born in I, Belarus, I hope that 1963, in the Lukashenko family. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, if you get to pick the family, the the uh, the, the nature of it changes. But I know, all I'm, I know. All I'm saying is, I, I think I think like if we if we if we grade on a scale of the last 500 years, I think we're actually doing pretty well. Really, it's just the nukes I'm worried about. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're kind of right about that. But like, oh. dude, this is why I needed you in the show for once, because you know I'm looking at my data. And, and I'm watching a lot of uh, a lot of science communicators as well. Uh, I'm now working to have Avi Loeb on the show, by the way, because this is going to be a breather episode because he does UFO research, and there's some breakthroughs on that front, by the way. Very interesting. I, I, I can I can talk about that a little bit because uh, I've no, done no, no, a lot no, no, of research no. myself. No, nope. okay. I'll uh, no, no, no. John Michael Gaudier, podcast event Horizon. I'm I'm by the way translating stuff in English for sorry in Russian, and we're going to have that stuff on. We're, we're going to have some. Uh, UFO research talk from Project Galileo because astronomy cool. and all this weird stuff is my, my hobby, by the way. Neat. I didn't know uh, that. Yeah. I, I learn uh, more about you every time we talk. Well, thankfully. And for one, I'm really thankful to you for, for doing stuff because, you know, a lot of people say a line that, you know, this stuff doesn't matter until India and China, China you, know, you know, changes their positions. But you just brought a bit of hope to the show. Thank you for actually um, ensuring that happiness is mandatory, to be honest. <laughs> But, but now, right, now, I'd like yeah. to, now I'd like to, but now I'd like to give up on the because I, I don't want to go further on because this is going to get probably more da darker or some stuff. But uh, yeah, if you guys have questions, you probably do. Please unmute yourselves and ask them. Or uh, if you if you if you can click on the chat of this void conversation, then you can like write in the chat as well. Like on the on the on the voice in the voice channel that, that you're seeing, there's this open chat function. Do you want to call on them, or should, why don't you call on them? Because I can see a couple of people uh, have unmuted themselves. I think Little Joe and Philip have. No, I, I unmuted them so that they can speak. But uh, if, oh, if, okay. Cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Is that, is that on live? Can you please, like, un- unmute everything here so that we can have, like, a... Uh people who talk about stuff or, or maybe the chat thing. I can like read stuff. No, can you see the chat that's happening on the sidelines here? Yes. I see a question from, uh, Max Nerd. Yes. Max, Max Nerd about Putin and grain. I think that one's better for you. No, uh, no, no you... I, I don't, I don't know much about the grain ship. I can talk about NATO, but the grain shipments I don't know about. So I, I, okay. I okay. That's... So the question is, you think Putin has any power to interrupt the flow of grain? Turkey is in NATO, so he's just going to attack the ports. Isn't he more likely to trade that, for example, the accidentally attack or damage NATO ship would be a lot more trouble? Uh, the strategy is very simple. It's not about attacking NATO ships. It's about literally throwing mines in front of the in front of the port of Odessa. He can just throw insane amounts of mines, and a lot of the a lot of the people are already like in a full right pro war camp, thinking that the war with Turkey is inevitable and that they should have a sneak attack on Turkey either way. By the way. But the thing is, can, like, can, uh, well, can, you, can you clarify? Like, it seems to me that if they were to to blockade a NATO ally, that would be an act of war. I, I would think that Turkey would interpret it as such, wouldn't it? They would, because uh, it's Erdogan. No one knows. They also have, like, see, Erdogan is uh, Erdogan is like uh, Erdogan by not closing the Bosphorus Straits for Russian ships is keeping Russian forces alive in Syria, where they have like massive forces, and Russian forces in Nagorno-Karabakh. The uh, competed territories between Armenia and Azerbaijan alive. If they blockade that and close that down, a lot of Russians are going to die. It's complicated, but like if he, because it's Turkish ships and all the deals have been made with Turkey, not the Ukraine. Like there's a deal with Ukraine and Turkey, deal with Russia and Turkey. So it's all tied to Erdogan, basically, what he thinks to do. And he has been like very much anti Putin lately. So it's weird because what Russia could do to make it all neutral is just, you know, throw a bunch of sea mines in front of Port of Odessa and other ports. However, what if Turkish ships blow up there? It's, it's a complex situation. And I have another question. When do you think the drones bombing Ukraine, especially Kiev, will stop? stop. Uh, when the war ends? No, nothing's going to stop. When the war ends? Yeah, Iran is providing all the stuff. Like, nothing, nothing possible. And uh, we have a person whose nickname is Happiness Murder. <laughs> Uh, happiness is mandatory, and he's like picking the worst nickname for the Discord. I, I know, I know him by the way. He's a he's a Latvian fellow that, that I've seen. Uh, you read the question because that's for both of us. But I just answered the question, so so now you now you sure, basically uh, do stuff. Yeah. Uh, what is both? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I thought you were telling me. You can read it. Uh, the 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 happiness murderer guy. Go ahead. No, no, you do that. I, I just read two questions, man. Okay, and then little Joe uh, as well. He reads. What's both of your opinion on the seeming change of face to Erdogan? About NATO and Ukraine, and to what might have uh, and what might have been under it all along. I will gather my thoughts and kick that to you, Christoph. Prophet. Simple word, prophet. Erdogan does things that profit Turkey. And right now, if you know something about Turkish economy, the lira has been falling. Their economy is a bit of a shambles. Uh, they're now, you know, they have been the, the the people who are doing the gray import stuff towards Russia. You know, they're helping them bypass sanctions, not officially, but by their businesses, and that's been fallen down. Erdogan thinks only of profit. He he doesn't think about glory, he thinks about pure profit for, for him and his country. So that's the simple word, profit. Uh, he he discovered that he might, like, you know, 
money from Russia drying up, more money could be made from the West. Let's switch to the West. Ta-da, simple as that. Market economy, sir. I was going to say he'd, he'd look deep into his soul and decided to become a better person, but I, I think, sadly, I think I'm wrong. I think it's Christoph's correct. I think it's probably self-interest. Well, exactly. Okay, then, uh, then you have one from Little Joe. Little Joe says, I would like to know about the accusation of thousands of Ukrainian women and children that are in foster homes in Russia. Did you make these accusations? I did not. Uh, the, the Hague did. Because they're basically okay. in the in the territories there, they're like taking away. Uh, like if you went to war in Ukrainian side and your territory, your village was taken over or your city was taken over by Russia, then your kids are going to be deported to Russia and like basically treated as orphans. And please ask some questions that that uh, Mighty Heaton could please basically uh, answer because you know I will answer your questions myself. I know you guys are doing this, but please ask something to Heaton. It's it's okay. I, I've got a question, Kendra from Texas. Where are you in Texas? Because I I'm based there. Uh, Kendra from Texas, uh, live show in person in Texas. I I'll, I would have to go to Texas, and that's mighty expensive. I, I looked I, at well, this. I've been, hey, just so everybody knows, I've been trying to get Christops come visit me in Texas for a, a year now. I've 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 like twisted his elbow and stuff, and and offered to find lodging and things like that. So no, uh, so I'm lodging is good. The tickets are expensive. Look, look, look. Okay. Uh, I will give you something. What's the closest airport to you, Austin? Yes. Great. Riga, Austin. Riga, Austin. I, I have to take tickets. I have to take tickets for two because otherwise, you know, I will be murdered. Uh huh. Oh, sorry, makes. I, I just want to speak in here because I I'm from sure. Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, oh, and okay. I actually I was saying Andrew from Dallas, Fort Worth. Dallas, Fort Worth. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I think it's funny that you're saying Dallas-Fort Worth, because usually I find people in Fort Worth are very adamant that they're not in Dallas. So where are you exactly? What, what, what is the town you're in? Grapevine? North Richland Hills. So I'm North like Rich- about, okay. I'm, I'm right in the middle of the whole thing. So. You're okay then. You're okay then. Those good people out there in North Richmond Hills. I have been to Austin, Texas, by the way. Well, sorry, Fort Worth, Dallas, that thing in Texas. I was there. But before we met, right, I'd be very sore with you if you came to Texas and no, didn't no, tell no. me. Before you, yes, I, I had been there and I was like in, in Fort Worth and I was like really entertained and I told all of my friends in Europe that, you know, in Europe we have like these plagues of important things happening. Like this artist lives here and here's this important building and in Fort Worth they have like, and this is where this firefight happened. Uh, can, I, can I read one of the, the uh, things that has been brought up here from Chicken? Yeah, Tuesday, sure. I'm, 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 just looking, I'm just looking at, at, at how much it would cost for two people, the cheapest option that I can get to fly there and back again. Uh, and it's like, uh, it's, wow, wow, okay, uh, I'll, I'll tell you in dollars because you're Texans. Thank you. you, yeah. you we probably... use Texan dollars. <laughs> till Bitcoin takes off. <laughs> I, I, could, I, could, I should probably... Ex- I, I should convert to nine millimeter. No, sorry, uh, 0.5 caliber bullets. That's way easier. No, we'll get you. We'll get you cheap, fresh bullets when you come to Texas. Don't worry about bringing any any <laughs> ammunition. We'll take care of you while it's, you're there. Uh, it's one thousand. You can probably get it at the airport. It's one thousand five hundred and fifty nine dollars for there and for back a, again for a round for, trip for two people. Yeah. Okay, I, I gotta say it's a pretty good deal actually. Yeah, it's it's a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> To me, so um, yeah. once I save that up, because right now now I have another Ukraine trip, and that that's like the cheapest option that I can find, and that's like in in, in late August, basically. Uh, yeah, that's for two people from Riga, and I haven't even looked at the relay. You know, I haven't looked at the 
where I would have to stay and for how many hours and everything like that's like the, the cheapest option, which might involve like 17 hours stay in somewhere or something like that. But like that's the very the very cheapest option is basically uh, 15, $1,550. And I don't well, know about all, all the things, but that's, you that's know, maybe, maybe at some that. point it'll happen. But but for real though, if if you know, I I, I know that uh, you are a proper war correspondent who is turning heads and and getting in trouble periodically. I am a failed comedian that wears a tie. I have a much cushier, easier life than you in terms of enemies. So just you know, if if shit ever really goes down, I hope that you will reach out to me if you need to flee the country because I would I would oh, yeah, do what I can to get you to I Texas. That is my plan, by the way, because all of you guys in Texas, I understood that I have like the, the, the simplest thing where I can like, this is place where to stay in the United States where I can like ask for asylum probably would be Texas. And, and I could like, you know, um, it, it's because I once, once I heard this statement, about, I think Davy Crockett made it like, y'all go to hell and I'll go to Texas. And that sounds like a right. good idea. It's, yeah, that's, that, that could be the unofficial motto of Texas. I think the current unofficial motto is don't mess with Texas, but... I know, uh, that's, also, that's, that's also, I have, I have a bottle opener that says that, and I was really happy to find out, like, like that was a, the slogan of the campaign that made you, like, not throw the bottles out of your windows from your cars or something. Uh, well, uh, we, we, await, we uh, await you with, with meaty arms in Texas. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend uh, August, but uh, if it ever happens. Um, I, I did get a question directed to me. This is sure, sure, yeah. too, Go on. too tasty. He says, I, I tend to agree with you, Andrew, on a lot of things, but I think your stand on the war in Ukraine may be my biggest disagreement. I agree that the war needs to end as soon as possible, and I too worry about nukes, but I also worry about being too soft on Russia. If we, the West, force Ukraine to give up any ground, Crimea and the Donbass in particular, doesn't that just teach Putin and other imperialist warlords that invading other countries is an acceptable way to steal land? Doesn't that teach China that we won't stand very much in the way if they decide to invade Taiwan? Shouldn't we just go to war with Russia, kick their asses, and be done with it? Well, well, um, right, well, before you agree, before you answer this, this person with the yellow name is is my Patreon. So, so please, please be polite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will. He's polite to me. I, I, uh, I, I no, th th it was a very polite statement. I'll be polite back. Uh, and, uh, and and I'll, I'll, I also want to throw out here. Uh, I'm I'm probably in the minority on this, particularly on this show. Uh, but but this is a a high stakes situation, right? Uh, there's a lot of lives that are hanging in the balance of this. So. Uh, I don't have a problem with anybody that, that's trying to make the right decision insofar as this goes. Um, so uh, depending on how you define we, I think that's a very bad idea. So the, the last sentence, shouldn't we just go to war with Russia, kick their asses and be done with it? Uh, if you're referring to Ukraine, that makes a lot of sense. If you're referring to the United States or any other NATO power, I mean, going to war with Russia would, I, I think, inevitably escalate into nuclear war. I think it's very, very unlikely that um, if we did what Senator Lindsey Graham would like to do and immediately fast track Ukraine into NATO, that uh, if we continued having a shooting war, it would stay at a, a regional shooting conflict. I think if America and Russia go to war, um, that is global doomsday scenario. But I'll give you some wiggle room there because you didn't define what we is, and perhaps you just mean Ukraine or, or those of us on, on the channel or something like that. Um, I have a lot of friends that share your position that live in Washington, D.C., that we need to uh, continue to support the conflict in Ukraine, uh, in, not even really for the benefit of the Ukrainians, but for the benefit of the Taiwanese. That if we if we don't fund the Ukrainian conflict, uh, it will send a message of weakness to China, and they will inevitably invade Taiwan. Uh, I, I, I don't like that position because it basically is treating Ukrainians as collateral damage in a, in a Chinese uh, a, a Chinese tug of war. Um, the other but, bit but that. Well, yeah. I like to make I like to mention out that he just said that he's also your patron as well. So. Oh, is he? I missed that. 
Well, I'm very glad I was being nice to him then. Uh, <laughs> hey, boss, I'm glad I wasn't a dick to you. Uh, uh, thank you for supporting my show. Uh, I, th I think I'm a minority on Ukraine, even with people that listen to my show, the political orphanage. Um, the other, the other bit that I would add to this is I think that um, the root question you have to you have to be able to answer, regardless of where you are, in terms of what we do with Russia, what we do with Ukraine. You have to also have a a clear answer on why did Russia go into Ukraine. Um, I, I I think that it has a lot to do with geopolitical positioning. Uh, and I uh, while I am in no way excusing the moral culpability of Russia, I think that NATO enlargement played a big role in that. Uh, and so I, I make a delineation between prudence and moral culpability, where I think that Russia is culpable for the conflict that we're seeing from a moral standpoint, but I think that. NATO acted imprudently the last few years by uh, uh, saying that Ukraine was going to join NATO, uh, which would be akin to China saying that uh, uh, Mexico was going to enter an, uh, an anti-American Chinese alliance or uh, Russia doing uh, joint drills with Vancouver or something like that. I, I understand why that would be triggering for Russia. I think it was an imprudent move. Um, think, I mean, the, this war caused Finland and Sweden to join, like instantly, and well, everyone well, knew they would but, join. But but why? But, but if you're it's, if you're Russia, it's not that you're afraid of being unpopular with other countries. It's that you don't want your border to be uh, with NATO, yeah, right? But, but it, like but it Sweden, it's Sweden really and Finland are. If, if if I'm Putin, am I worried that Sweden and Finland are going to invade us? That there's going to be an invasion of Russia from Sweden and Finland? No, I'm worried that Ukraine is. Dude, uh, so, do you do you know how far? Like, uh, if, if if I might finish, then I'll, then I'll relinquish. Sure, sure, sorry, I, I, sorry, I, sorry. If, 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 we're, if we're borrowing my analogy here of of yeah. Mexico or, or Canada falling in league with China, or let's say China, I think that this would be like if uh, China said Mexico is going to join our alliance, and then Honduras and Guatemala freaked out and and joined NATO. Uh, or something like, or, or join the anti-Chinese alliance, something like that, right? Uh, Honduras and Guatemala might do that, but it's not what America would be concerned about. I, I think it's the same thing with Sweden. Okay, Andrew, they're, they're Andrew, Andrew, security threat. Andrew, I am very sorry, but I, I'm going to have to give you some education about F Sweden and Finnish please military do. forces right now. Yes, please do. Uh, Sweden is the only, only country on planet Earth that makes uh, fighter planes on par with the United States. They also make submarines. They also make guns. Finland has more artillery units than Poland, France, and Germany put together. Um, that's the thing. Seriously, Sweden is the Sweden is a major creator of weapons and and planes and stuff, and they have been neutral, not joining NATO, so they've actually built up their military. Mm -hmm. Finland has been preparing for this situation for a long time. Like the problem is, like Finland and Sweden are not Honduras and Guatemala in this analogy. They are more like, um, if you put them together, that would be like Canada. Okay. Um, That's the thing. You know, I, I, I defer to you and your listeners on this. Uh, it, 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 from, from where I'm at, um, the, the invasions that Russia has had from the West have always come from Western Europe. It's always come through there. It's not come through Sweden or Finland. So well, that, uh, that might true. logically make sense, but I don't think they're as worried about Sweden and Finland. I think they're worried about, you know, the, the French and the Germans came through via their, their Western border, uh, I, not I, through I, Finland and Sweden. Okay, okay, Andrew. This is the part where I honestly disagree with you because I think that was, that was an excuse for internal policy and they would have done it either way. But again, this is why, ladies and gentlemen, I like to talk with Andrew here because we can disagree on something and actually, you know, remain friends and not start yelling, not start the yelling context. And to exactly. be honest, 
he's he's also in a bit of a vulnerable position because you know he's on my Discord channel and this is mm-hmm. being observed by a bunch of listeners of mine. And yeah. if you would look at the chat, that would not be kind to Heaton at this point. Uh, would be very disagreeing with I, him. You know what? I, I, nice. I always welcome uh, well-intended criticism. No, this is well-intended, uh, definitely. Well, and, and, and everybody, are, everybody, everybody, everybody's being nice. Everybody's being fine. Uh, there, there's a very big difference between saying you're wrong versus you're a shitbag. Nobody's saying anybody's a shitbag. <laughs> so... Except, uh, so, except of course, except of course, Mr. Putin. He, he definitely he is, is a shitbag yes. by any measurement. <laughs> But there goes, we have a question, by the way. Uh, that was to both of us, but I'll let you, um, I'll let you answer this one. Because you probably can answer this one better, because I don't sure. know American companies. <clears throat> Shadow Ironheart asks, in the, in the event of a Ukrainian win, what industries do you think will come in and set up shop? Do you think that the country will grow in the aerospace and defense industry, or, it'll, or it will become a hub for tech or anything else? Which companies might come in? Because I... Probably insurance companies or building companies from Europe, but uh, you know they have also history of rocketry. I think because you know Russian Soviet era uh, plane research and computer research went through Ukraine. But um, if, if we're looking at companies, United States is, has invested a lot in, the, in this war, and I'm pretty sure United States companies wanna, will want to come in and do something in case of Ukraine win. That is. But what's your hypothetical on this, Andrew? I, I agree with you, and I would add to that. I don't think it's so much that American company, companies are eager to go into Ukraine to rebuild it. I think American companies are eager to go into Ukraine to rebuild it and have the bill paid for by the American government. Um, so I think you would find that there there would be a, a big boom of American corporate activity in Ukraine that is funded by the American state. Uh, and that means that it would probably be, one, a lot of energy just based on the natural resources that are that are in Ukraine. Um, there would probably be a fair amount of, uh, if, if you can transport in infrastructure, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's easy for companies to relocate the do infrastructure. Um, but I think a lot of it would just be in terms of who's going to be able to get contracts from the American government. Uh, I, I would always uh, bet money on the, uh, the, the, the military industry. Uh, I, I suspect that they're going to be able to make a buck out of this the whole time. Uh, in terms of the specifics, I don't know about I, I don't know that like tech would be the the one that I would I would double down on possibly, but I I, I would think it would be more of like you know uh, infrastructure building, construction, and energy. Mm. Uh, for think? some for some reason, my chat says Mitsubishi heavy industries. I actually don't know what the hell Mitsubishi heavy industries are. I know Mitsubishi are car makers, but uh, if if, if okay, Wisp and and little Joe who mentioned this and this got uploaded. What do Mitsubishi heavy industries do? And is this a meme or, or is this like serious? Maybe you know, Andrew? Uh, I don't, but can I backtrack to another question that I can't answer? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I, I um, had like, I, I, I just can't keep up with, with the chat here. Sure. Please go uh, on. Yeah. So, somebody brought up, um, uh, we don't have to relitigate what we were arguing about a minute ago, but somebody brought up, uh, what about Cuba? Why is America so worried about Cuba? Um, I think that's a very good thing to bring up. America has a ridiculous policy towards Cuba. Uh, uh, the embargo was partially lifted under the Obama administration, where you could then just as a free American citizen go between America and Cuba. Uh, that has now been redacted under uh, Trump, and I, I, I believe that Biden has followed course with it. So we've had a policy of uh, um, embargo economically on Cuba since I think the Kennedy administration. And I... The free citizen of a free country, I'm not permitted by law to go to Cuba, which I think is bullshit. Uh, and the answer to that is, it's not that anybody's afraid of it. It's that uh, Ukraine, or excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, Florida is a swing state in presidential elections, which means everybody needs it. And there's a very big Cuban population that's super, super anti-communist in Florida. 
And so it's not so much that American policy has been being driven by fear towards Cuba. Uh, it's more of a special interest group that's been able to command that foreign policy because there's not enough people that want to go to Cuba that badly to displace them. There's not like a giant pro-Cuba group uh, in, I don't know, Iowa to compensate or something like that. So I, I think that probably boils down more to electoral politics than it does to fear. Um, there, I, I think that the fear argument made a lot more sense prior to uh, 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 you know, inter intercontinental ballistic missiles the point where I, even the Cuban Missile Crisis didn't really make sense. Uh, I mean, that was allegedly JFK saying, you know, we will not let the Russians bring nuclear weapons to our hemisphere. Uh, but they had inter intercontinental ballistic missiles at that time. It was already there. Uh, like, like putting missiles in Cuba would kill us slightly faster. It'd be like six minutes as opposed to 15 minutes or something like that, had that gone about. Um, that was almost certainly a political calculation. It was, I think... Much more likely that, uh, let's say, uh, optimistically, Kennedy wanted to send a rhetorical signal to the communist world, but a bit cynically that he wanted to be appear um, tough on communism against Goldwater, who was an arch anti-communist, and so uh, brought us to the brink of conflict in order to prove a political point. Uh, but the, the, the fear thing, I think, has been kind of moot for a long time, and I don't know anybody in America worried about Cuba. The thing is, like, I, I know that after, after that happened, the Soviet Union had to invest a lot of money into Cuba, and that was a major drain. A huge rain. Cuba was like uh, the ulcer as well, you know, just like a war. Cuba was, after all this stuff, became like very dependent on stuff. And um, there's a lot of Soviet culture, by the way, in the Cuba. And that might surprise you, but you know, this whole like malt drink that mm -hmm. that's the Cuba makes, that's from Soviet Union. We also have that here. That's a Soviet recipe. Also, apparently, they make the, still the same Soviet, Soviet kind of ice cream. Seriously, this, that malt drink originates in Soviet Union, very popular here as well. I was, when I was in the United States, someone like, uh, who was born in Cuba brought it up to me, and I was like, well, yeah, I have that one in Riga as well. And they were like, super surprised, but yes. The Cuban mold drink, same as we have here. The Cuban ice cream, same as here. Apparently two things they really love from the Soviet era. It's kind of like weird, but yeah, apparently at one point, uh, Cuba became like a very much drain on resources for the USSR. It's kind of interesting I, how I, these I, cultures have I, I would... I would love to visit Cuba, and I probably will at some point. Uh, it's just on a it, on it, my editor actually has, because we can think, go there, no problem. Well, yeah, what, uh, I mean, te technically, I can too. I just can't do it directly. Like, I could fly to Mexico and then fly there. It, it would be a problem for me if I worked for the State Department or if I were interviewing with a, a, a really... Uh, if I were looking to get top-secret clearance or something like that, it would be problematic. For, for me, as a comedian pundit, I, I, I can do it. I just have to add an extra step. Uh, I interviewed Conan O'Brien when he got back from Cuba. He went to Cuba during this thought period under Obama. Oh, nice, nice, excellent. He did a um, yeah, he he did a comedy special there, and I, I got to interview him. I was in the lineup um, uh, uh, right before he went off to go interview Anderson Cooper, and uh, it sounded great. He had a blast while he was there. Uh, like like all the people were super cool. You know, the regime's a different thing. The mm. people were cool. Like at one point, they were filming a sunset, and a guy came up and he went, "Hey, you, you can't film here without a permit." And Conan O'Brien went, oh, I, I get that. It's just that the sunset's really, really pretty. And the guy went, yeah, okay. <laughs> so it sounded like a fun, a fun that, place. That, that reminds me of like, you know, how we were like in the Soviet era. Like, mm -hmm. that's the thing. This is what I hate the most, by the way. You know, people represent like all the Soviet citizens being all these like very hardcore communists and mean and hating America. But it wasn't like that. I mean, like... <laughs> That is the reason why, you know, when someone gets smuggled in jeans or brought like a can of Pepsi, it was like a celebration for the whole family and stuff. You know, mm -hmm. we were trying to be nice and we still are, which is just great.
Oh, by the way, my, my question to you, there's, Keaton. There's a big difference between a, a people and a regime. I, I, they, definitely, they, definitely. The, the, one, the one might be emblematic of the other, but it's pretty rare. And, uh, uh, you know, like, peoples don't go to war. Governments do. Like, I, 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 Andrew Heaton, have never been at war with anybody in Afghanistan. I don't got a problem with them, right? But, like, our governments do it. And, and uh, um, Cuba and the, the United States are an example of that. Well, well, sadly that you, Andrew Heaton, haven't been at war with, with, with the government entity. I, I kind of have, so... And I won. Well, a government entity, I know you I have. won. Like, uh, I have outlasted Wagner Group and Prigozhin's political influence, after all. I mean, uh, they went to war with the Eastern Border, and Eastern Border won, so, you know. <laughs> like, I'm here, right. and they're no longer there, if you think mm -hmm. about it. If you think about yeah. it, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is a bit silly. Um, the biggest question is how many patrons will will we both lose after this evening? <laughs> Hope, hopefully, I don't lose you anybody. I, apparently, I've got some too, so I'm a bit worried now. Uh, ha Happiness murderer says, "Well, I would say companies from all the 2020s uh, allies will participate in a big part in rebuilding of Ukraine. Not only the top donors' uh, victory, um, yes, probably. But let's let's clarify something here." Corporations are going to go in if they can make money. They're not cor corporations are not going to go into Ukraine to 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 build things and and do so at a loss. Um, some of the bigger ones theoretically could for some period of time, but they're not going to do it. So people are going there if they can make money at it. If if there's a a place where they can make money by by selling things or building things for the Ukrainian people and the existing economy, they will do so. Um, but I think for the most part, the the companies that are going in from Europe and from the United States are going to do so with a lot of government contracts and with a lot of uh, a lot of aid money, and so that is going to involve a political process, uh, or at least uh, the very least bidding. Um, mm. We can all root for corporations to go in and rebuild stuff. Um, it is probably going to be corporations that do it. Like like it, at least in my country, we tend to outsource things to corporations. We contract them. I don't have a problem with corporations. All I'm saying is. Um, they're going to be doing it for a profit motive, one way or the other, and that will very likely come out of government contracts. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna post a a picture here right now. Uh, you, you who follow me on Twitter have seen it, and everyone here on Discord has seen it. I just have to repost this because um, you are probably new on Discord and will not go to general discussions and shuffle through stuff. But there's a picture, you know, today the oh, Pizza Goblin, by the way, uh, has asked a long question, but I'm sorry, I'll, I'll just. Uh, I'll just basically reply to this a bit later on my own news episode. I just want Heaton to comment on this picture that, uh, you know, Crimea Bridge was exploded today. Would like to finish on that one. And this is a picture that I'm just posting here. Uh, just open up and make it big. This is the thing that Shoigu said a couple of months earlier about how much protected the whole bridge is. I want to, I want to turn your attention to the flying dolphins and the people shooting at stuff. It's kind of funny. Uh, what the fuck is the dolphin? Is it number seventeen's a dolphin? What is yeah, that? What a, am I looking that's at? A, that's a that's a Russian battle dolphin. They have those. What? Yes, there, they there are, are battle dolphins. What? Are, yeah. they have like razor blades on their snouts or guns? No or explosive. What? No explosives. They are trained to oh, you know go to boats they and explode. Have suicide bombing dolphins. Yes, that's fucked up. Look, look, look. If you're rooting for Russia to win, you're you're rooting for a country that uses suicide bomber dolphins. That's right. Well, I wasn't rooting for Russia, but I have one more reason to dislike them. <laughs> I was like, I think like this is this is the thing. Like, look look at the stuff they they are like. Um, yeah, Merle, United States Navy has a marine mammal program too. The United States does not stuff explosives on dolphins. Yeah, we use uh, them to like <laughs> find stuff, right? It's kind of like a kind of like bomb dogs or something. Bomb dogs is another grim thing. If you know something about Soviet history, to not talk about. <laughs> 
You know the Soviet uh, Union had a program of dogs who are suicide bombers as well in the World War II, right? I did and they, not know that. Oh, no, no. You should listen to the episode about animals in the Soviet Union, which I have on the Eastern Border. Thing is, like, they trained them and they wanted to, like, strap bombs to dogs because they couldn't strike. They, at the early, at the early war, Soviet Union did have weapons to breach, like, German tanks, like, straight ahead or from the sides. So, so they thought, you know, the bottom would be the best option. So they trained dogs on tanks to, you know, run, run below them and explode. Problem is, they trained them on Russian tank model because they didn't have German tanks. So when the first real combat happened, these trained dogs just swapped around and ran towards Russian tanks where they exploded, killing Russian tanks and soldiers. Uh, have you heard of Vojtek the bear? Uh, I have heard of the ne- oh, I have a cap. I have a cap of him. Yes, that's the Polish guy who carried the uh, Polish bear who carried right. uh, things. Yeah, yes. so 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 I'm I'm recording in Edinburgh right now, and uh, there's a statue down in, in Princess Street of Wojciech the bear. This was a bear in the Polish army during World it's called, War Two. By, by the way, you say Wojciech. His name Please, is Wojtek. 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 So so it is okay. Wojtek. Wojtek. Um, Close enough. Yes. It's great. So the, 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 the Poles were down. I think they were in like Syria or Lebanon fighting the Nazis. And uh, they, they kind of adopted this bear they found as a mascot. And they thought it was funny to teach it to drink beer and smoke cigarettes. They thought that was kind of a cool thing. And then Eisenhower got word that allied forces had bears or had, had pets. And he went, guys, we, we're fighting the Nazis. We really can't have animals involved in the conflict. So he sent out like a general order to any, any troops under his command. You got to get rid of your animals. You can't have animals anymore. So the Polish army responded by making the bear a corporal. They literally gave the bear a commission of the army so that it would be a member of the army that actually outranked some other people. Uh, it, uh, um, at one point, it, it did participate in the battle against Nazis because they, they gave it a backpack and it was lugging munition shells up a hill. Uh, so it did fight the Nazis, uh, and then when the when the war concluded, it, it, he ended up here in Edinburgh because this is where the I think the Free Polish Army was congregating. Um, they they dropped him off in the zoo. And if you talk to older Scots, um, it used to be every once in a while some really wiry old Polish veteran would swing by, and he'd walk through the zoo, and then he'd yell "Borja," and he'd jump over, hop into the enclosure, hug the bear, and then give him a cigarette. Heartwarming story. <laughs> What? Dude, dude, no, there's a thing here. Dear, dear listeners of the show, if you think that I'm sometimes, you know, exaggerating my stories, trust me, I'm not. I am actually leaving some stuff out because you, would, you wouldn't believe me. Ogren I'm really brings glad. Up, I, uh, Nils Olav. I don't, what? I, o- what Olaf, was Nils Olav? So Nils Olav, uh, this is the, the current uh, celebrity oh, animal no. at the Edinburgh <laughs> okay. Zoo, which is a brigadier general in the Norwegian army. Uh, I See, I got a problem with Nils. Um, the bear fought Nazis. That bear deserved the rank of corporal, in my opinion. Nils hasn't done anything. He just shits in front of the king of Norway whenever the king of Norway comes through. The king of Norway gives him a knighthood. That that fucking bird's now like the fifth highest ranking member of the Norwegian army. So I think that bird is really overinflated, and I'm very jealous because I, a 39-year-old man, have risen to the rank of Eagle Scout, and that is the highest accolade I've ever had, even I, I approaching think, uh, military let, spectrum. Let, let, it be known, let it be known that Eastern Border is on Team Wojtek, not Team Neil Zola. <laughs> nice, good. Wojtek, I, I have a cap uh, that says, you know, Wojtek, Kapral Wojtek there. I, I got it in, the, in, in Gdansk, in the World War II Museum. You know, they, have, they, they sell souvenirs of... of of Wojtek, Ogrim says, friendship at the Eastern Border. 
Come on, Ogrim. Um, dear patron Ogrim, I will respect Niels when he kills a Nazi. Please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. That's... You know, dude, uh, this, is, this, is, this has been a, a perfect chunk. Uh, I'm going to finish recording now because we've been going for two hours, but I'll, I'll be up for like uh, 30 more minutes on Discord talking with you guys. This is why you should join Discord so that you get extra material. Uh, but but basically, yeah, uh, I'm really glad that we ended. We started out with dictators and elections and, and and fake stuff and sovereign citizens. Moved on to global warming and all the all the depression. And you warmed me up. And we ended up with Wojtek and Niels. Nice. I, my my natural ebullience punctured through the darkness. Uh, it was also a lot of fun. also also I really love. I, I, I want to give a I want to give a shout out to your your uh, your listeners. Uh, I, I realize that the maybe NATO played a role in this is a very unpopular position, and uh, I'm, I'm impressed with everybody that was just like, no, nah, I disagree with you, rather than like, you know, try to find out where I live or anything like that. Uh, uh, speaks highly to your audience that they were they were engaging in a polite and civil manner, just as you and I do. Well, look, look, sir, we, we share quite a lot of audience, you see. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, and uh, of course, our audiences are the best audiences on the planet Earth. Mm -hmm. They make yeah. sense. Also, uh, Again, I'm really glad I wasn't a dick to my guy. <laughs> uh, by the way, Andrew, um, Andrew also, you know, inspired me to wear more suits. So nice. I'm very proud reason. of that fact. I, I've I've seen your stuff on on Twitter, and you're looking good. You're looking svelte and in a cut suit. Staying sharp is important. I, I've understood that. Well, uh, plus, like, like uh, you're you're a you're a proper journalist too. Like you've met heads of state, have you not? Didn't you meet the president of Latvia here recently? Yeah, I did. I interviewed him. Yes, and I am a journalist. Yes, but uh, yeah. I am nowhere. I am nowhere near as well spoken when it comes to English. When it comes to you, so that's the thing. Like that's the thing which I actually okay finalize this, and I'm keeping this song on for a bit. Uh, this is what I don't like. Uh, sometimes the British journalists who invited me like over, like some people on the Telegraph and some people on like Mirror Report. There are some people who are like British journalists, and I, I'm being invited over by my Slovenian friend, uh, Demon, uh, Dominic, sorry. Like, the thing is, like, sometimes I feel that British journalists treat me as a bit dumber than they are because I simply, um, well, like, my English is pretty good, okay? But your I don't English is speak, great. But I do not speak, is, I do the not speak in a sophisticated manner, man. Yeah. No, no, no. The, I, the, the first time I listened to your show, before, before we, we met, because uh, I, I wanted to check you out before I, I visited you in, in Latvia. Uh, I was like, I, yes, I could tell way. if you were an American that had just lived there for a bit and it had taken on some of the accent or, or whether you were Latvian. I, I couldn't tell. Your English is fantastic. Also, don't let those British people give you any shit because unless they speak Latvian, you're beating them at the language game. Like, I speak English pretty well, but I only speak English. Right, you probably speak like nine languages because you're a European. If you uh, only no, speak two, no, it's no. still incredibly, incredibly I, I, I impressive. Speak, I speak, I speak four. So um, okay, there that. you go. No one should give anybody shit for having an accent in the fourth language they learn. Well, English Certainly is my, not a English is my third penguin. language. So sorry. Like, that's, like, that's the thing. One thing though, like you, you love this. Okay, I'm leaving this in the show because it's important. There was a thing like the night when the United States basically threatened Russia at the moment where like this, the, both senators came out and gave this like speech where any nuclear explosion that Russia does will be like an act of war because Poland might get involved, you know, all that stuff basically threatening Russia not to use nukes, which is, by the way, I think a good thing because Russia was, from my own sources, Russia was truly honestly thinking about tactical, using tactical nukes. That was like a last ditch thing, by the way, at that point where the threat was made. 
I learned that a bit later, but that truly was a last-ditch effort to maybe stop Russia from using nukes, and it worked. And I'm very, very sad and worried that we, we went to that point there. We were, like, literally three minutes from nuclear war, by the way, at one point. Just saying. In the, in oh, the we've, 20... we've nearly done it at least six times. There's yeah, been... last, last time it happened was 22nd of June this year. We were literally three... Uh, when the statement was made, it was made urgently because apparently, as far as I have learned, it was made 10 minutes before a, a nuclear test was about to take place above ground, and then another nuke would be exploded on the Black Sea. Just say. Which, uh, yeah, that didn't happen, and I'm very thankful. However, you know, I, I'm sitting on, on this uh, mirror report thing, and, you know, normally I'm sitting on European time zones, but then it was like the American time because they run 24-7. And a, a Romanian guy plops in and asks, well, what does this mean for Biden? And I can, you know, he says he's from Romania, he's a worse accent than I do, and I can understand. He's a smart guy, probably in the military, but he has just a poorer accent. And then, that, then, then all the experts from the United States, apparently from Washington, D.C., started explaining this in the most political, most sophisticated language humanly possible using various epithets of sophisticated thought and of how deep and involved all this subtle political meaning of all this event was. Man, the Romanian guy doesn't even understand the, the, the meaning of the word subtle. Like, you know, he... he I know these no, people. You, They're my people. I, you, and the you, thing you is like... Be... I had to, I, this is what I did. And then I just interrupted them very rudely and told them that, yeah, you've been speaking for 20 minutes trying to tell three, uh, uh, like a, a three-sentence statement, and I'm just going to do some journalism on your ass, as you, you academic fucks, and explain this to normal people. They were super angry at me, but then uh, the couple of next speakers, like five or six of them, applauded me and said I did the right thing. Which made the American experts feel really awkward because they were like angry at me, like, how dare you use swear words in our show? I'm from Eastern Europe. I've been to the war zone. Were, the, were, the, were these journalists or academics you were mad at? at a I think like, uh, two of them were from Institute for Study of War, which I hate personally because they're incompetent to ignore culture. But like, for me, it was a win for Eastern Europe because, for one, if you know that your, your space is being listened by people who probably don't even have English as their first language as well, because you're like the biggest one there, out there, you should probably understand your audience, at least somewhat, you know? And don't, can, can, and don't make the cardinal sin of thinking that just because English is not my first language is that I'm somehow dumber than you. You know, I, I, just say. Well, I'm 100% I'm with you on this. Uh, in terms of making people feel dumb based on language, uh, and I'm saying this is a, a pretentious dude wearing a tie and a window pane suit right now so i've, I've got some some uh, uh credentials as a pretentious twit um uh when i got my master's degree here in edinburgh uh, i was really really disappointed in academic jargon um i had been i've been working for the united states congress uh, and then i came over and started uh getting a master's degree and academic jargon is the whole point of it is to to show other people that you were intelligent while also uh, making what you're saying less clear. The goal is to make your language less clear and use really big words and synonyms so that everybody goes, oh, that guy's smart, which is not the point of disseminating. Disseminating knowledge ought to be based around being able to communicate clearly and efficiently and quickly, not to make yourself look smart. And I feel like a lot of academic jargon has no interest in actually disseminating information. It has interest in making me look smart. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, all the better. Conversely, uh, the last couple of years, I've started reading Supreme Court decisions as they come out. I, I talk about them on my show, The Political Orphanage. And they're in very clear English. These are people at the top of their game. These are the, the top jurists in the United States. Uh, they're, they're very intelligent. They went to very intelligent schools. 
they use very clear language because they're not worried about being taken. They, they know that they're smart. They don't have to convince everybody they're smart, so they speak clearly because the point of the thing is to be able to communicate the idea. Um, so uh, I, I hats off to you, uh, Christoph. I think people oh, that are trying to make their language uh, needlessly verbose to puff themselves up is, is a, a, a place of insecurity more than anything else. This is, by the way, a thing where, like, uh, when we started out in history podcast sphere, because I started out the history podcast, basically uh, a lot of academical people in historical you know, circles hated Dan Carlin for, like, you know, he's not academical enough for everything. Then they make their own podcasts. Then they all fail. Yeah, because this podcast is fucking great. And he does his research. He's just not, you know, he doesn't have the elbow patches. That's it. No. My only problem with Dan Carlin is how often he says he's not a historian. Because, like, I am very happy to label that guy a historian for where I'm at. End quote, aliens, Statue of Liberty moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Liberty, Statue of Liberty, the sand moment, yes. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, look, it's 11 p.m. I was in Estonia this morning. I spent insane amounts of time on the bus today. It's like five hours. I could have taken a plane, but plane doesn't save you any time. You still spend the same amount of time doing the security controls. Right. Uh, this episode is going to be edited, by the way, by um, sure? our, our friend from Secret Police Podcast. Because Onnit is not doing any editing right now, so he agreed to do this for free, no less. Which Go means... Thanks, pal. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to give him free for advertisement. But before we end up, uh, Andrew, I have to say thank you to you. And to all of your audience, because when I was in the one of the darkest hours in my life, hey, dude, the fact that you mentioned me on the show really pulled me out, and uh, we got the car fixed. And well, yeah, that the relationship ended afterwards. But then again, I don't blame a person whose car got exploded to decide to get a safer life. You know, it is what it is. Uh, we're, I, we're I appreciate still kind of friendly. that. Um, well, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad thank to hear you still friend. I'm, I'm mostly glad to hear you just okay, man. That was uh, when, when, when I got uh, word that you've been car bombed. I like like that was. Um, are easier for me than you, but it was pretty tough just knowing a friend had gone through that. And I'm glad that myself, uh, that I could help in any way. And I'm, I'm really, really glad that uh, my listeners are very generous people. And I, I'm glad that they were able to help you as well. And that is truly what I'm thankful for. Because again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is the thing. Everyone here also knows that you're a friend of mine. And even though we disagree on some things, we argue about it. Yeah. But we, we never yell about it. Because I, I respect there's, there's, Andrew they, and stuff, so th yeah. this is what this is what should be done. This is what I think that you know, proper discussions should be made by gentlemen in suits drinking whiskey. hundred percent, a hundred percent. Okay, thank you, thank you, uh, Mister And. Sorry, I'm just haven't slept properly. I was in a, I was in a birthday party with with Estonians and they're weird. But please, please do advertise <laughs> yourself for the listeners. Uh, hey, listeners, this was a lot of fun. Uh, honestly, uh, Christophs, I just wanted to hang out with you. Uh, um, so I, I'm glad that it's going to be recorded as well. But but I, I just I, I thought it'd be fun to chat. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm sorry I don't know nearly as much as your fearless leader does about all of the news going on. I am not a, a foreign policy analyst uh, or, or certainly not a war correspondent. So apologies that I had to go more general, but I appreciate you all listening here. Uh, if you like... Um, any of the optimistic shit I was saying earlier, go check out The Political Orphanage. That's my podcast. Uh, I host The Political Orphanage, and it is designed for people that are tired of red team versus blue team thinking, that are looking to solve problems, uh, and tend to have friends they disagree with. Uh, and so if that sounds like you, come check out The Political Orphanage. There might be stuff you'd enjoy. You definitely should.
and of course, because uh, uh, the police podcast, I told him to do a mid roll for this episode, and he was like, "No, man, you know, he's a bit shy." more shy than us even though by the way the guy who makes this uh, show about secret polices of all sorts of governments he he's working for his pilot's license he's actually like flying planes and stuff i'm just doing my Ooh. drone stuff but like yeah man awesome he like and that's so great so i have to advertise for him a bit because for my listeners well you know if you want to be a part of such conversation like we're having here with people on discord come join my discord at this point we're pretty big and and yeah for the most part, it's actually really interesting and easy to do things here on Discord. It's really fun to listen to your questions. And Andrew, hey, if uh, if, if you want to have sometimes, if you want me sometimes on or something, just let me know. And uh, uh, I love yeah, that. You know, great. we should we should have. I I, I uh, I'll, I'll email you, and we'll we'll figure something out. Particularly while I'm over here, close to your time zone. Of course. And uh, all of you out there, um, I have to do the mandatory ads. Uh, if you want to become my patron at some point, because we're gonna go to Ukraine again, as soon as the Germans work out things with my driver because ugh, weird stuff and I'm also, also doing documentation. We're going there. It'll be great. Hopefully I'm going to make German journalists not die. And as always, you know, I'm going to cover all the news. Please go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash the Eastern Border. Or you know you can go to the Eastern Border.lv and click the donate button there. Always happy about that. But that's uh, And as always, remember, especially after what Heaton said, happiness is mandatory. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.